in the second week of our latest message series called American Idols. Last week, uh, while I was gone, you still heard me, and I talked about the idol of materialism. You know, always wanting to have all the time. And I hope that you took away that the way to overcome that idol was through the spiritual power of contentment, being content with what God has given you, being finding your contentment in Jesus. This week we want to look at a second idol, another American idol. This is the idol of pleasure. But before I get any further, I want to make it very clear that God is not anti-pleasure. There are a lot of people who think God only wants to rain on our parade. Not true. I mean, it is no coincidence that food tastes good. No coincidence that music sounds good, that fresh air smells good. It's no coincidence that that sight of rolling hills or those beautiful green valleys or snow-capped mountains or those lakes or oceans all kind of take your breath away. It's no coincidence that it's fun to be in love. It's fun to be with our friends. It's fun to be with our kids. But having said that, for centuries there have been some people who have tried to measure their spirituality by their ability to deny themselves as much pleasure as possible. For example, if you go back to the Middle Ages, some Christians thought to be super spiritual, they would wear hair shirts underneath their clothes. And they did that because they thought those, those hair shirts were very uncomfortable and being uncomfortable made you more spiritual. To that I say, phooey. But there were even some super spiritual people back then, radical monks who substituted wire for hair. Can you for a moment say that you would feel comfortable this morning sitting in a set of wire underwear? I mean, to that I say, yikes! Don't think so. Now, while there have been some people who have taken this anti-pleasure approach to life, thinking it would make themselves more spiritual, the flip side of that are people who have that attitude, if it feels good, just do it. I mean, many people think today that the entire purpose of our existence is to experience as much pleasure as we possibly can right now. Now, I want to tell you, God wants you to be happy. But there is a catch here. It's all over the Bible. You cannot achieve happiness through the pursuit of pleasure. Many of you are familiar with Solomon. Solomon, the richest, wisest man who ever lived, had something to say about this in Ecclesiastes 2. I think it might be on your outline. It says this, I said to myself, come now, let's give pleasure a try. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. It is silly to be laughing all the time, I said. What good does it do to seek only pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. While seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I hope to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I mean, did you get what he's saying? He's trying wine, women, and song, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but it was all meaningless. It was all worthless. In fact, a chapter later, he goes on and says, Anything I wanted, I took. 
I didn't restrain myself from any joy. I even found great pleasure in hard work and additional reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Now, yeah, thanks, Ted. Amen. Amen to that. Well, what's the problem with seeking after pleasure? You know, Solomon could have been writing to us in the year 2010. I mean, a lot of people in this world today want to feel good, and they want to feel good right now. Now, Solomon's words illustrate the problem of living with this, if it feels good, just do it lifestyle. It causes problems in at least three areas. Number one, it causes you to think only of yourself. You know, when you live for immediate gratification, every experience is defined by what you get out of it. I'm going to even drag this into the church. You know, we sometimes think that church, let's make it real personal. Some of you sometimes think that the only purpose for First Lutheran Church, it, the only reason it exists is to satisfy you. I mean, you want the services to be entertaining. You want the music to be entertaining. You want the pastor to be entertaining. And you judge every service, every Sunday, by how much you liked what took place within these walls. You know, was the organ playing well? Was the band playing well? Did I know the song so I could sing well? I mean, did the pastor have a good sermon so that I felt good about it? Our attitude is what? It's got to be fun or color me gone. I'm out of here. I do not have to deal with that. A few weeks ago, I talked to a young worship leader in another church who announced that he was stepping down from his position at his church because his job was, quote, not fun anymore. I mean, never mind that he left his church in a bind by quitting in the middle of the week. The important thing for him, anyway, was how much pleasure he personally got out of performing music each week. Somehow he developed this stupid idea that his job was designed for his benefit and not for the benefit of those people he served. It's got to be fun or I'm out of here. That was his attitude. That mentality, folks, lives in Texarkana. It lives in this church sometimes. There's a second problem. It causes us to think only of today. I mean, if we think about immediate gratification, the value of everything is judged by how much it pleases us when? <laughs> Probably yesterday, but today. So if a relationship, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband and wife, if that goes through a rough patch, what happens? When the going gets tough, you bail out, right? That's what this says. You think, why put myself through the misery of this relationship? Why do I need to put up with this marriage? Life is too short to have to deal with garbage like this. A couple of years ago, when we were still living up in Chicago, a law firm in Chicago raised quite a stir because right in downtown Chicago, they put up a series of billboards picturing a rather provocatively dressed woman and the headline under it said, Life is short, get a divorce. In other words, forget about 
the commitment you made at the altar, they were saying, have fun today. Yeah, it's the same way with jobs. I, I hear it all the time. I'm amazed at how many people I see, and Grant, I have a Facebook page, like a lot of people do. How many people, man, thank God it's Friday. I can't wait for this work day. My job is so boring. I hope I can get through another miserable day at work or a miserable day at school. Oh, man. It's like everybody in this world, if their job gets tedious, if their job gets boring, they quit. Do you know how many times I would have quit since I've been here if I would have that attitude? <laughs> Once or twice only. <laughs> Yesterday, for example. Oh, not really. But, you know, a lot of people have that attitude. Or if church doesn't entertain them like, they, like it used to entertain them, then what do they do? They just kind of hop to another church, or, or better yet, they worship at St. Mattress. Or if not St. Mattress, they go to Our Lady of the Posture Peak. You know, they just stay at home and they sleep. It's got to be fun or I'm out of here. That mentality is the enemy of endurance and it's the enemy of true lasting happiness. Now, there's a third thing that's wrong with this. It leads to loneliness. I could talk about the prodigal son who found himself on his hands and knees in front of the hog trough when all the fun ran out, the money ran out, he was lonely. But see, when you spend your entire life pursuing immediate gratification through pleasure, you will ultimately find yourself all by yourself. You cannot build lasting happiness or satisfying relationships when your only concern is so that you feel better today. Let me test your trivia knowledge. Anybody know who holds the Guinness Book of World Records for the most married man in the world? I didn't think so. I even had to look this one up. His name is Glenn Wolf. He was married 29 times in his 88 years. 29 times he said, I do. 29 times he said, this ain't fun anymore. I'm out of here. He left behind 19 children, 40 grandchildren, 19 great-grandchildren, but he died alone. No one claimed his body. There was no funeral service for Glenn Wolf. He was buried in a pauper's grave. You see, friends, when immediate gratification is your top priority, it causes you to think only of yourself, only of today, and it only ends up in isolation and despair. That's why Solomon said, it's like chasing the wind. There's nothing really worthwhile out there. So how do we kill this idol? I mean, if this is plaguing us, how do we destroy this particular idol? Well, last week, I suggested to you that you kill the idol of materialism by mastering that spiritual power of contentment. This week, I want to suggest to you that you destroy this idol by mastering the spiritual power of hope. Of hope. See, many people feel like they have to get what they want right now because, like the old Elvis Presley song, it's now or never. See, they have no assurance whatsoever of the future, so they want what they want while they want it. I still remember the day of being in the grocery store and seeing some little kid throw himself down on the floor and say to his mom, I want what I want when I want it. 
I felt like going up and say, I got what you need and I'll give it to you. But it's not really my job to discipline other people's little weasels, you know, outside of the bounds of this church. But some people say, why wait for tomorrow? I mean, tomorrow might not be good. I mean, this might be my last opportunity. But see, hope, hope, you think about that word for a moment. Take, it asks us to take a different approach. Hope teaches us to say, I don't have to have it all today because my future in Jesus is certain. My blessings still are coming. I know that my best days are ahead. Now, many of us are familiar with Paul's words. Uh, you hear these at uh, wedding services quite often. From 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul says, three things are going to last. You remember that? Three things at the end are going to last. What are they? Faith, hope, and love. Now, we, we know what faith is, we know what love is, but how do you define hope? Well, in Portuguese, and maybe even in Spanish, the word for hope, espera, is the same as the word for wait, or in some contexts, expect. In English, we often use the word hope as a synonym for wishful thinking. For example, we say, I hope it doesn't rain, or I hope it does rain, or uh, I, I hope the pastor doesn't preach much longer, or I hope we don't have to wait too long for a table if he makes us late to the buffet. Well, see, the biblical concept of hope, though, is completely different. It's not about wishful thinking. When it says our hope in God, or if we sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, this is not wishful thinking. This is waiting expectantly. Now, we baptized two babies this morning. I have a feeling that the two ladies, Macy and Jamie, waited expectantly for nine months. Optimism there. A general disposition to expect the best. It's all going to come out in the end. See, when you live connected to Jesus, you have every right to expect the very best. Now, does this mean that it'll be easy for you and you'll never have hard times? Does this mean that you'll, all, you'll never have to do without? No, it doesn't mean that at all. What it does mean is that we can live by the words of Paul. Many of you know this verse, Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work out together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. So when you are walking with Jesus, which we are called to do, when you know everything is going to work out for the best for you tomorrow or the day after or whenever, your grip on immediate gratification begins to loosen. So you could define hope as being willing to say no today because you know God's ultimate yes is somewhere in the future. When you have your heart anchored in hope, the temporary pleasures begin to lose their appeal. Now the question is, how do I build this life of hope? Well, the answer is pretty simple. It's found in Romans 5. You probably should know the answer if you paid attention to what Nancy read to you before. You've probably heard sermons about how to grow in faith. You've probably heard sermons about how to grow in love. Today, let me share very quickly three practical things, three things you can actually do today. You can walk out of here today and actually do these things that will help you grow in hope. Number one, make a list of what you're hoping for. 
Now, stop, in other words, stop thinking about everything that's wrong. Do you know any people like that when you ever say, how are you doing? Oh, pastor. <laughs> oh, man, I just feel like walking backwards. You know, but every, everything is bad. Nothing's going on. Oh, poor me. Oh. I remember a cartoon character one time. I can't remember what this was in. Some of you that are my age will remember. But a guy walked around all the time, and he had a thundercloud with lightning coming out of it. There are some people like that. I'm just saying, stop thinking about everything that's wrong for a moment and start thinking for a moment about what God has promised to make right. Start thinking about all the good things that are coming your way. See, when we go through hard times, what do a lot of people do? They're tempted to medicate that pain with a dose of indulgent pleasure. That's why some people overeat. They think, my job stinks, my marriage stinks. But the, at least the ice cream still tastes good. I mean, it's why some people develop addictions or they spend all their time pursuing meaningless hobbies. It's why some people surf websites they should avoid. It's why some people get all tangled up in relationships that were dead wrong from the get-go. See, instead, make a waiting list. Good things that are coming your way through God. Romans 5.2, you see it up on the screen. What does it say? Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of highest privilege where we now stand. And we are confidently and joyfully looking forward to sharing God's glory. What a wonderful thing you and I as believers have to look forward to someday. That's just one of them. I mean, what's on your list? What good things from God are you confidently and joyfully and expectantly looking forward to. I mean, when you focus on what's ahead, the abundance of godly blessings that are coming your way, you suddenly realize you really don't need all this stuff right now. Here's the second thing. Take another look at your problems. Maybe I should have said, take a second look at your problems. You know, for most people, problems are an annoyance that they wish would just disappear. Pastor, I got a problem. Can you do anything about it? Yeah. Abracadabra, go away. Now, it doesn't work that way. You got a problem. I know some of you probably know what I would say. My problem is good. Now you and God have an opportunity to work together. See, problems are not something we need to go away. Problems, for some people, serve no good purpose. They're just dead weight that weigh you down. But that's never the way the Bible looks at our problems. Our problems, they say, are there to serve us. That's what Romans 5, 3 says. We can rejoice too. When? When we run into, oh, problems and trials. Why? Because we know that they are good for us. My grandma used to always say, it's good for what ails you. Well, God says your problems, good for what ails you. They help us to learn to do what? To endure. And Paul goes on in this reading and says what? Endurance develops what? Character. Character develops confident expectation in God's salvation. So you've got to keep this in mind. Every day you endure makes you just that much stronger. Every day you hang in there in Jesus, you get closer to becoming like Jesus. I mean, don't try to escape problems through a distracting source of pleasure. I mean, the shopping spree you're tempted to take won't bring you to the heart of the issue. It'll only bring you closer to being broke. I mean, that hot fudge Sunday 
won't fill the void in your life, but it'll sure, sure fill the void in your clothes. I mean, that drink you're, you're tempted to take won't take the edge off. It'll only make matters worse. All I'm saying, friends, is that every day of endurance builds more character into your life, godly character. Every day, that light at the end of the tunnel, guess what? It gets brighter. Now, some people might even say, well, I don't feel stronger when I go through my problems. I don't feel like I'm getting any better. That's why you need to take a second look at them. I don't know how many of you, I mean, I work out at the gym. If you ever lifted weights, for example, you remember how you feel after a particularly demanding workout? You're almost too tired to even pick up your towel to wipe sweat off. But what has weightlifting just accomplished in your life? It has strengthened your muscles, it has pumped oxygen into your blood, and it has increased your rate of metabolism. See, every day you endure, you endure with Jesus. Every day you refuse to indulge yourself, you develop strength that builds character. And guess what happens? You remember Isaiah chapter 40, one of my favorite Bible verses. It says, those who do what? Wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will fly high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. You can do those first two things pretty easily. Here's the third thing you need to do, and that's to seek the Holy Spirit's help. Again, back to Romans 5, 5. And this expectation will not disappoint us, for we know that how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. Do you know that you can spot people who've tried to endure difficulties on their own? It's pretty easy to spot them. They survived, but they didn't thrive. They didn't get better, they got bitter. See, when you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, He comforts you in the midst of your trials. He strengthens you for your journey ahead. He fills you with God's love. He reminds you of God's promises. He gives you the ability to endure, and He gives you the power to overcome. I mean, what more could you ask for? You want to develop the habit of hope? Seek the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with his presence. Ask him to bear fruit in your life so that you can endure hard times. Ask him to be in your life so that you can come out on the other side looking more and more like Jesus. Last week we spent up in Illinois celebrating Nancy's mom and dad's 70th anniversary. If you ask Nancy, you ask me, it was one good time. Now, the interesting thing was the entire family, with the exception of our nephew, who's serving in Afghanistan right now, was there. If you did not know who was related to who, <laughs> you could have probably looked at that group of people and said, oh, those are obviously Nancy and Barry's kids. You know, some people come up and they say, you know, Eric looks a lot, he's a, he's a younger, better looking version of his dad. But people are probably more right when they say, he looks a lot like his mom. Or they'll look at Terry. You know, and, and you know, those of you with the little babies right now, you know, I think about Ava and Stetson. You know, as they get, you know, right now, when they were born, everybody would stand over the crib going, oh, he looks like so-and-so. <laughs> He's going to look like himself someday or like herself someday, but guess what? They're going to be a reflection of you. Everybody will know that's your kid. 
But the same can be said to us. Wouldn't you like it that everybody, when you walk out of here today, beating the Baptist to the buffet, when you're in line and you're really nice, people look at you and they say, I know whose father, who that guy's father is. I know who that guy's brother is. It's Jesus. Jesus. Wouldn't you like to look more and more like him every day? You know, I started this message about overcoming hard times. I'm kind of ending on dealing with... Uh, I started started about the pursuit of pleasure, but ending up with overcoming hard times. But, you know, these two things are kind of tied together. I mean, immediate gratification has become an American idol because we are inclined to do anything we can do to get through the pain. But it's in waiting that we experience God's power. Let me read to you from what David said, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing. I'll say it again, friends. God is not anti-pleasure, but he is anti-quick fix. And that's what the pursuit of pleasure often is. We're just trying to get out of having to deal with our problems. We think a little celebration every once in a while will take some of the discomfort away, but all it does is make us spin our wheels. Put your hope in God. Wait on Him. He will get you through whatever you're facing today, and He will fill your life with pleasure greater than you could possibly imagine. Psalm 16, verse 11 sums it all up for me, and I close with this. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasure of living with you forever. That's the pleasure I know I'm looking forward to, and I pray that's the pleasure that you're looking forward to as well. Let's stand for our closing prayers, blessing, and song. Father, we come today and we say thank you for gathering us together in this time of worship. We thank you for the uh, wonderful sacraments, for the word in the sacraments today, for the entry into your family through baptism, for the forgiveness of sins that's received through Holy Communion, for the word, and we pray that our hearts and our eyes and our ears were open, that we might hear what it is that you said to us, that we would pursue not the pleasures of this world, but the pleasure of being with you. We pray it in the blessed name of Jesus, who also taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.